Our opinions aren't too tough, rough, or gruff. We are proof that you don't have to be an expert to have an opinion. So just... Shut up and sit down. This is Sports Stuff with Jim and Muff. This is Sports Stuff with Jim and Muff. We are ready to jump right into it this week. Not going to have a lot of fluff to this. We're just going to get right into the, the first topic of the today. Um, and that is, well, there's been a lot that's happened this week in sports, Jim. Yeah, very uh, fantastic yet historical yet odd week in sports, if you want to call it that. It's It's been an interesting week in sports, and it wasn't just because of the sports. Uh, right. Obviously, that's kind of what's what's driving the conversation right now. Um, obviously, we had some some events that have occurred within while well, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, throughout this past week, which have led to additional further conversations, just building on the conversations that have been happening within sports for the past six ish months, um, which has led to relevant and necessary action on behalf of athletes in this case. Um, so to, to set this up briefly, um, and then we're going to get let Jim introduce our, our guest for this week, um, a brief setup of what has happened uh, within the sports world, at least this past week. Um, on Wednesday, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks not coming out for their game against the Orlando Magic. Um, unbeknownst to the rest of the NBA at that time, uh, with that game being canceled and then the rest of the NBA, NBA games being canceled um, after that. Um, also, Wednesday evening, you have seven Major League Baseball games postponed for all the similar reasons to um, create some additional conversation awareness to uh, the recent events that have been going on in, in America. Um, Major League Soccer, five of the six games were postponed. Um, on Wednesday, um, and then you move into Thursday. You have Naomi Osaka from the Women's Tennis Federation who decided she was going to sit out um, of her semifinal match. Um, whatever that meant to her at that time, she didn't care. She just knew she wasn't playing on Thursday. Um, with that, you also have the NFL teams um, sitting out their practices, so suspending their Thursday practices. And then within the NHL, they uh, postponed their games on Thursday and Friday. Um, now, since then, um, all of these athletic endeavors have restarted in some way over this past weekend. At the latest, I think Saturday with the NHL, um, they started back on their, their matches and their games. So um, that kind of gets us to where we are, but I know that we've invited uh, a guest on the show for today, so I'll let Jim take it from here and kind of lead us into this conversation. Muff and I, and we've in previous episodes, have had conversations, and we've both made it pretty clear that we are two white guys from middle America, and we have opinions, and we've, we've said them, and we can talk about it till we're blue in the face, but we kind of want to also, as we've said before, we want to engage in conversation and learn and bring our audience other perspectives and encourage others to have that conversation. And then our next guest kind of has done that for me in the past. Um, I've been at protests with this, with this individual. I've 
learned a lot from this individual. Um, he is big into social justice. I've seen him, I've heard him speak. Um, and I really think his perspective in that, in that arena um, needs to be heard. He coaches Little League. He is a father of three. Um, and he is a black man. And I think all of this sports stuff is fantastic. And Moth and I can pontificate for this hour or so segment or this hour and a half show. But we've done that. So I bring to you Mr. Aaron Wilkinson from, from Wheeling, West Virginia. And I would like, Aaron, for you to kind of tell me what it meant for you to see athletes take this stance first. I mean, for me personally, it meant a lot because people in everyday life don't always have that opportunity or that platform to kind of make their voices be heard. You can make your Facebook posts and you can make Twitter posts, but realistically, like for me, example, like I have people who follow me on Facebook, but they're like-minded people. So they're, they already kind of know what, what I'm going to say. They kind of already know my point of view. And for the people who don't agree with me or don't want to hear what I have to say, they're just not going to pay attention. But when it's somebody in the public eye or somebody who plays a sport who says it, it, it garners attention. So it meant a lot for me to have people kind of be able to step up and say like, Hey, this needs to be talked about. This needs to be um, brought up in the public eye. You know, one of the conversations I've heard or have had people like, well, why doesn't everyone just take a day off? The person who works at McDonald's can't afford to take a day off work. They're, the reality of their situation is they're going to get written up at work. They're going to lose that day of pay. They're going to cause more uh, work for their coworkers. Like, the the effect of them taking that day off work is not no one's going to notice you know what i mean no one's going to really notice that somebody in some small podunk town took a day off work at mcdonald's but like when the nhl and the nba and the wnba is all shutting down for this you know people start to take notice and it's also kind of ironic because you hear people say well keep politics out of sports well, politics is part of life. And this isn't just a political thing. This is, you know, African-Americans, people of color are dealing with these issues day in, day out. And having those people on that sports platform taking that stand to say like, hey, something needs to be done means a lot to me. I mean, I, I know that, you know, friends of mine have spoken to me about how much that means. And it, I just don't know how much more we can all sit by and go like, eh, it'll work itself out because it hasn't. And it just hasn't. So, you know, the more that people are saying stuff about this and the more that people are calling out this type of behavior or showing it, I mean, the, the, the amount of attention that some of this gets is still not enough. There's still people who are like, ah, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it just, it it blows my mind. So my question to to my follow-up to that is you have kids. I have kids. When I saw it, because I was out lifting and 
it, it, the news hit my Twitter feed and obviously Muff and I have this show. So it's like, oh, we're going to have to talk about this because this is an important thing. My first instinct was to tell my kids and, and try to explain that to my four-year-old of, of what happened. Your kids are a little bit older and, and vary in ages. How do you explain that to your children? What is going on in context that like makes sense to them? It's in relation to because go ahead. Sorry. It's tough because, you know, kids, kids don't always see what we all see as adults. And it's one of those things where you would like to shield them from the horrors of reality, but you know, you've got to be able to prepare them for like, Hey, somebody might say something like my daughter plays high school basketball. Right. So she has, suffered through being called the n-word by an opposing team i I don't want her to suffer through that but you know as an african-american you've got to teach them like hey you can't let them get to you you've got to just kind of power through it use it as motivation you've got to kind of spin that on its head when you're in that parenting moment but as a human being you're like and if that kid catches an elbow oh well you know what I mean? Like I was an athlete in high school and, you know, we, in West Virginia, we traveled down South and I had a few times that N word was thrown around and, you know, you just kind of have to bite your tongue and just hold it in and use that as other aggression, motivation, whatever. But you try your best to use it as a teachable moment. And I mean, everything has to be done that way. You know, not just sports, but like my son, he wants to be a, he wanted to be a police officer. He still does. I keep trying to tell him he wants to be a detective. And uh, we were driving in the car and we saw somebody get pulled over. And he was just saying how, what he would do if he got pulled over. And I said to him, no son, listen, if you get pulled over, you sit in your seat, you wait till that officer comes up, you treat him with respect, keep your hands on the wheel, wait till he tells you to grab for your stuff. And, like, I walked him through, like, the, the DWB, the Driving Wild Black, you know, all the rules and regulations that comes with uh, what you do and how you handle yourself. And, you know, we dropped him off at where we needed to drop him off to. And I looked over, my wife was crying. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, that sucks. You have to teach him that. I'm like, well, yeah, I want him to live. Like, you know, that's just one of those things where there's things in this world where people – I don't, I'm not going to go as far as saying it's white privilege. I'm not going to make that bold claim. But there's just things in this world where until you hear about it or it happens to a friend of yours, you would never think, ah, that doesn't happen here. Like five times, DWB, five times. And every time I knew what I needed to do, and I wasn't breaking any laws. Uh, I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was just, you know, let's pull this person over and make sure everything's okay. You've got to be able to teach your kids how to be safe and kind of put all the anger aside that injustice brings. You've got to be able to separate that. Cause trust me, it, it makes me mad, but I love my kids. So I want them to know, you know, how to handle that situation when it comes up and, you know, call me an optimist. I hope, you know, people like you and, and people like Buff, um, you guys 
you influence younger generations and hopefully that kind of changes it. But unfortunately, I mean, we've been saying that for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 200 years. I mean, so how long do we kind of just kind of hope that like, well, the next generation will be better. Right. Right. In terms of these sports specifically, did what did you think when you heard, hey, these players, it's the players doing it. It's not a PR stunt. It's not. Well, I mean, there again, God, I hate to say it. And I, I know that this goes out to the public. So don't don't be too harsh on me. But like, of course, it was the players. It's not going to be the coaches. It's not going to be it's not going to be the front office guys. It's going to be, you know, the people that this affects the most, like you look at that one tape from the the playoffs in the NBA where that one guy, the president, what team was it from? Toronto? Was he the Toronto president? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yep. I mean, he gets stopped to go to the court of the team he's the president of, just like right. any other black guy. But, like, I guarantee you that does not happen with the white presidents of the NBA, WNBA, NFL, exec, that does not happen. There are stories, it dates back to, it happened to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. He tells a story of that happening. So mm-hmm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the greatest basketball players ever. If you don't know who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is, why are you at a basketball game? How are you working at a basketball game? Right. So it's just... It, it makes me happy, but it also makes me sad that those people had to do that. Like we have to sacrifice one thing that we all mutually love. We all, and I, okay, let me rephrase that. If you're listening to a sports podcast, I'm assuming you right. like sports. Yeah. Like I don't care which one. I know not everybody likes hockey, Jim, but everybody likes, I've, I've found my love of golf muff. We'll talk later. Like, and I, I have golf right now on my other TV watching the highlights from the tournament today. Nice. I went and played 18 today. Me too. Um, <laughs> nice. What'd you shoot? It wasn't a good day. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, I mean, I've been, I've been lowering that handicap down. <laughs> Anyways, um, but it, it's just one of those things that if you love sports, it sucks that we have to, like, pay this price of not being able to watch this or participate in sports just so Jimmy Schmo in Podunk, whatever state, recognizes like, oh man, they're killing black people for no reason. This seems like a big deal. Like that sucks for somebody. And realistically, sadly, I don't think it's happening that way. I think Jimmy mean? Schmo in Podunk State, whatever. And I don't, I, the reason I'm saying Podunk State, I'm not classifying it as a Southern state, Northern state, Western, Middle East. I'm not, all the states in all the places there's some idiot out there who goes like they just should shut up and play sports yeah the uh, shut up and dribble the ball right. argument yeah and it's funny because you don't hear anybody saying like well i don't think peyton manning should be out there selling me whatever he's selling me he should just shut up and play football like we make that decision that it's okay for an athlete to sell us something car insurance, life insurance, a car, a Rolex, a shoe. Those are all okay things. If they're being paid to say these things, that's okay. 
But the moment that an athlete starts to really verbalize like, oh, you know what? I don't think that it's okay for black people to be murdered in the streets. Shut up and dribble the ball. Shut up and swing the bat. Shut up and swing your tennis racket. And it's like, well, why, why can't that person have that personal opinion? And it's always been in sports. Think back to the 1940s and Jesse Owens going into Germany. So to say that politics, to get politics out of sports, like how far would we want to go back? Jackie Robinson and baseball. I mean, like it, it's always there. Muhammad Ali. I mean, it's always been kind of there because politics is part of sports, but it even goes beyond politics. Like this isn't just a political issue. This is a racial and humanity issue. Mm -hmm. So it's not about, it shouldn't be a political issue. It should just be that, you know, maybe we don't kill people or shoot them seven times in the back. Seems like a simple enough idea. I don't think we should have to lose seasons for it. But unfortunately, that's what it sounds like it's coming to. Let me ask you. And I just keep rambling on. Sorry. No, you're fine. Well, we both do the same thing. (laughs) I've listened. I've listened. I went back and I listened to the catalog. I was very impressed. Uh, I think Jim picks on you too much, Muff. I think think that this Ohio State love that Jim has, I cannot wait to watch this draft. Because uh, it should just be a high state player, a high state player, a high state player. <laughs> exactly. and we can just watch him lose his mind at the end of the season if we get to have it. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, some of the aftermath of this has been critique heavy on Mr. LeBron James for his approach to how you handle the protest. Damned Whether if you he, do, damned if you don't. Right. And I guess – is that does that hurt the movement? No, I mean, here's the thing there's going to be detractors. I cannot say for 100% certainty that I agree with everything LeBron James has ever said or done. Like, I heard you guys kind of making some jokes, and I was listening to an episode when you guys were talking about Space Jam 2, and you know, <laughs> just some, you know, is it going to include the decision? Here's the problem you've got somebody like Michael Jordan. You watch The Last Dance as much as probably everyone mm-hmm. did that who likes sports, once again, or likes basketball. And he has always kind of stayed out of the political eye. And for the simple fact that by the time that somebody becomes as powerful as Michael Jordan, he's no longer rich. He's wealthy. And wealthy people have a different outlook on life. Black, white, nothing matters except for green. So where he might agree with some social things, he's probably not necessarily in line politically when it comes to financial things. So he's always really stayed quiet. So when you have someone of his magnitude, that's kind of like mum is the word word that I would use. He's always kept his image relatively squeaky clean politically. I'm not talking about gambling. And by the way, Muff, we need to talk. Like cornhole, I mean, like I listen to every minute. It's like I gotta find something to gamble on. I gotta get, I gotta get that fixed. So, but LeBron goes in the opposite direction, where he's always trying to elevate, and it seems like other people want to tear him down for that. Yeah, I, I personally don't care for LeBron James as a basketball player. I recognize that he's good. I recognize that he's probably great, but I, I don't personally like him as a basketball player. As a person, he's done 
I mean, my curse counter is zero, so I'm going to keep it as clean as I can. <laughs> um, a butt ton. I mean, he's opened up schools. He's offered scholarships. He's done a lot to help and further African-Americans, not just African-Americans, but inner city kids. So his ability to kind of help the cause, and I'm using air quotes, I feel like will always be criticized by someone, whether it be somebody within the cause because they feel like he's not doing enough or somebody outside of the cause who's saying he's not do he's doing too much. I mean, what, what's that line? Where, how do you come up with that line somewhere in the sand of going like, here's the perfect amount. So he makes a hundred dollars. How much should he donate? Is it 20? Is it 30? Is it 40, 50, 60? I mean, how much does he have to give up of himself compared to, you know, LeBron's out here doing this, that, and the other. I'm a huge Cowboys fan, Jim. You know that. Yep. I haven't heard a lot of stuff coming from Ezekiel Elliott. That's so true. So he's in a situation where Jerry Jones doesn't want the Cowboy players to speak out. He doesn't want them kneeling. So he's in a completely different situation where LeBron has that autonomy to kind of say what he wants, do what he wants. What are they going to do? Cut him? Are they going to find him? I mean, like, he's LeBron. So – And they have a very progressive commissioner who's willing to support this with ownership, right. I mean, that, with ownership that is kind of cutting that edge as well in so much as they are able to. You know, everybody, like you said, with wealthy – with the wealthy class, yeah, I mean, the owners in the end, it's still a business for them. But I think Adam Silver is what kind of – drives that discussion to take place between the owners and the players, which is what a commissioner should be doing anyway. I mean, just look at, okay. So just look at how great of a thing they did when they started to say like, they're coming back. They're like, we're letting players put whatever they want on their jerseys and whatever they want in relatively speaking terms, you know, they've done things that in my opinion has always, I think it was a couple of episodes ago, you guys talked about, like the front office staff and the back office staff, like how many players in the NBA or people who were involved in the NBA, the, the racial and the gender makeup of the front office and back office of the NBA compared to the NFL. Yeah. I mean, it's, but the, the makeup, the player makeup is about the same. There's just as many African-Americans in the NFL, if not more, you know, by numbers, because the team numbers are, so Bigger. much more than the NBA, but like right. those players don't go on. Some of them do, but not in the numbers that the NBA does. And I, the racial and gender makeup of the NBA just shows you how much further they are than the NFL. But look at the NFL's margins. Mm -hmm. I mean, look how much more money they're making. And there's not, there's just not that same kind of inclusion in it. Is that you know what I mean? Like yeah. those players who serve five to ten years, or what, what's the average span now? Three and a half. Yeah, like it's less than five years. years. It's less than five. I know that. So you know you're you've got a guy who goes, he gets a college education, he plays, he goes to Ohio State. We'll make it so Jim likes this guy. That's right. Okay? I like him so already. This, this imaginary person, he played for Ohio State. Maybe he was good. He he was good. He gets drafted in the third or fourth round. He goes on and plays for a team for a couple of years, and then he hurts his leg. But he has a college degree, and he knows the game. And he doesn't get an opportunity in a front or back office? 
I mean, and he's selling cars at your local yokel. I mean, no offense to the local yokel who's selling cars, but like that guy couldn't help an NFL team. Right. But, I agree. You know, Billy Bob's son does because he's Billy Bob's son. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Typically, and this is just from my limited knowledge of this with players coming out of a league that are usually younger, still relatively, there are, I think, I think they call them like externship opportunities where they can maybe do like a D2 school or like a lower level D1 and they may be able to come in as like, I don't know what the title is, but it's a type of special coach. Um, and that is the hope of, okay, get this person into the game if they truly want to be involved in the game. But again, what is the percentage of those former athletes that actually go up through the college system and make it to some NFL coaching position let alone once you're a coach, you know, that huge margin between being there and being in an actual front office or doing something right. on the executive level. I mean, that's, it seems to be a pretty impotent, impotent opportunity in the end when you think about the difference between where you're at in like a D2 level coaching position and reaching some executive office area. <laughs> so uh, you're older than us. I just Thanks. like saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, watch out. You might be like 50 to 80. I don't know. Yeah. You know what? I heard that. I was like, I, you, you turned what? 30? How old did you turn? 35. 30? Yeah. And it might as well be 40. I was like, well, I'm 37. Somebody thinks I'm 60. I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm 60, but geez. But uh, my say, I say when you're older than us, you also are a history buff. Um, you know about the Cleveland summit with Muhammad Ali and, and Jim mm. Brown and, um, did this feel like that to you? Do you think that this will look be looked back on as that? No, no. I, See, I, I agree with that. I agree because it while it happened, it was very much. It tends to be okay. So social media exists now. Right. So when things happen, they kind of like spin out of control, and mm -hmm. no one ever seems to like make a concentrated effort to like do a group thing. It's always like, well, I heard that they're doing this. So we're going to do this. And it's always like, okay, well maybe it's a day later. Like when Muff was going over the timeline, you heard it. It's like, well, some teams did this and then other teams did that. And then a league did this. And then another league. Did, and you're like, well, why didn't like the players association from these different leagues kind of get together and go like, Hey guys, we're going to do this here. I know that they never – you can't because it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but it, I feel like it's more powerful when it's a group effort. Like that, that Cleveland Summit you, you talked about, it was a big deal when you had all of those players or those people, personalities together discussing this. Um, but now I feel like it would be like an ESPN special. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but like, you know, if you got – I'm just throwing out names, but if you got people like Barack Obama and you got someone like LeBron and then somebody in the NFL and then somebody from major league, and then you got all of those people in a room to kind of talk about where do we go? That would be helpful. But I, I mean, the problem I, where, where, once again, where's the line of money? versus responsibility right so you do that 
And then you're going to have everyone come out. Well, they're just doing it for the ratings. Well, they're just doing it for whatever the commercial spots. Right. And it's like, no, we, we just thought it'd be nice to have this conversation and broadcast it to people. Why didn't yeah. you do it here or there? And there's always a, another agenda and the message kind of gets lost. I think it's interesting with that and going back to some of that, that monetary discussion is with the NBA, their collective bargain agreement, they're going, they're currently kind of working through that to extend that. I don't know how far they're looking to go, but I think it was a, a real conversation that happened um, in that Wednesday to Thursday time frame. whenever you, know, you had people advising the players like, Hey, just so you know, if you do choose not to play the rest of these playoffs, not only do you miss out on some more money this year, but whenever this bargaining agreement comes up, the salary cap may not be what you think it is, which means that the high points for all of these contracts are going to be lowered. So think about that. It's not just making a statement right now. It's how can this affect you, not just this year, next year, but maybe for the next four to five years, as far as a salary cap and, and kind of the ceiling on salary. So, I mean, that's, that's a real conversation, not for the people like, I think LeBron, those that are paid at those max salaries, but you've got, you know, those 10th, 11th, 12th guys on the bench who are making that league minimum that that means something to them in the end. You know, it's not millions of dollars they're thinking about. They're thinking of, you know, 50, 60,000 that keeps them above water with the whatever lifestyle they choose to live. I mean, it's, it's about day to day sometimes for those guys. Yeah. And I mean, like, I I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but it's like when the major leagues were talking about doing it, and I, I don't even want to go to it because I, I have a feeling you guys are going to talk about it later. It, it that met, a, yeah. It will it be just, in the asset segment for sure, that, that <laughs> debacle. It's just one of those things where, like, you know, I started to say about, you know, people who aren't athletes have very tough decisions to make. You know, somebody says something at work and you work at, let's just say, a bank, okay? You work at a bank, somebody says something. You now have a decision to make. Do you keep your mouth shut and just kind of let it go because it's one person or is there a family behind them and he dropped the end bomb and you, you know, you've got to make those day-to-day decisions every single day. And those players are the same way. Like LeBron can say stuff, but his 11th player on the bench, he can't. So that's why LeBron heavies, heavy is the one that wears a crown, right? Like yeah. what's the saying? So yeah, you did it, well. it's, it's, it's hard. And, but that's why people look to him and go like, well, if you're not going to say anything, I'm not going to say anything. So they kind of have to. And that's why I respect them for doing it. And I'm happy they did. But I, I just worry that like you said, Muff, like at the end of the day, just like everybody else, they got to work. Paid. They need money. They got to get paid. Yep. So people are just going to go like, well, you know, that's nice that you did that, but go back out there and dribble me some basketballs and make me some more money. So as we wrap up this segment, I guess. I guess. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how I want to phrase this question. Obviously, we want to see a change. I think all three of us have agreed that we want to see a change. What do you, Aaron, want to see in the immediate <laughs> in the immediate future from I, I sports? Would like, from sports. Oh, okay. From well, sports. I, I wasn't going to load you up that bad. 
the acknowledgement of the struggle. I mean, like, you know, when, when, when athletes, when athletes perform, look, I, I, I by no means am anywhere near what they did. Never. I will never, I will be Al Bundy and always claim my high school feats. But I know in high school, you know, when I went out and played football, I gave it my all. Football, basketball, baseball, three sports that I played. And I gave it my all. And besides going to going out there on a Friday night, like all week I practiced, I lifted weights, I ran, I did all those things. So these athletes give it their all all the time through practice, weightlifting. They give up chunks of their lives to be able and put on this show for us on TV or the fans in the audience when it's on COVID and we get to be entertained and, and, and revel in the spectacular feats that they do with athleticism. The least that the sports world could do in return is acknowledge that some of them are suffering or not being treated fairly by the outside world. And whatever way that that sports wants to do that, whether it be offering counseling, whether it be offering mentorships, whether it be offering sensitivity training for other players. Look, how many people do you know from your background never went to school with an African-American, you know, and said, I've never, I've never talked to a black person. It's 2020. It's 20. 20 and some people have never and now they're being put on teams with african-americans and you see it in colleges where the locker room breaks down sometimes racially where all the white guys hang out some of the black guys hang out and two the two shall never cross so you know it's cheesy to talk about like remember the titans but when you look at a, a movie like that that like showed how teams can be, really be brought together in unity and brotherhood. I hope that the professional world doesn't forget that. Like the professionalism of sports, baseball, basketball, uh, hockey, all of them doesn't forget that like that brotherhood that can be created and allow those people the opportunity to express some of the hardships they've had and help them kind of, deal with it and fight it you know a lot of these teams are in big inner cities and they can do their part by going to inner city schools talking to the schools talk to the cops have that conversation those cops come to your games those cops come and our security guards on the side they do a lot of work for the side hustle i appreciate you uh coming on my good man yes and thank you share, very much and sharing your experience um and thanks just thank you i appreciate it thank you guys now it's time for the fast five fast five fast five this week we're gonna run through a true fast five i believe this may be the fastest of the fast five so we are going to start it off in the baseball world We had a a no-hitter this past week. Not surprisingly, it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the biggest note of the whole no-hitter. 
It was the first no-hitter of 2020. About halfway through their current season. Which, to me, was surprising, given that there was a large break. I thought we'd at least get one sooner. And I thought it would come against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep. If you, if you bet that one on the board, that was probably the best bet as far as no-hitters against what team in the Major League Baseball. Can you say his name, Muff? Lucas uh, Lu- what? Lucas Giolito. He threw 101 pitches. That is actually a pretty, a pretty low pitch count. Uh, if I threw 101 pitches, my arm would fall off. If I did 101 of anything, it's probably going to be tough on my body. Uh, All right. Uh, this happened this past Tuesday. Yep. He struck out 13 as hunt in part of his 101 pitches, as uh, would be expected. There was no one in the stands, which is a, a record of sorts or notable that it's the only one of that type. Um, I think the the other the other game or other no hitter that was witnessed by the least amount of people, I believe, was in like the late 1800s. 1884 and August 4th, like there were 500, 500 people. The one. So that's notable of its own in its own way, I guess. His manager wanted to cry. It was so special to him. I don't know enough about this pitcher. I mean, I don't recognize the name, which would lead me to believe he's probably a younger pitcher. Um, so that might be special manager-pitcher relationship. Who knows? But it's, but it's good on him. Hitter. It's no hitter. It yeah. Was, I think about the 18th or 19th in Chicago White Sox history. So that's fun. Good kind of- for Lucas Giolito. A great, a bright spot in uh, baseball, I guess. So good for him. There you go. More on baseball coming up. Not in the Fast Five, but in other. No, segments. no, yeah. The next topic in the Fast Five, Fast Five, Fast Five. We let Jim take this one away. Daytona, NASCAR. So, so the second race at Daytona for the year, uh, the Coke Zero Sugar Four Hundred. Um, I like the Daytona races. I'm not going to lie to you. It's basically a giant uh, demolition derby at going 200 miles an hour. No COVID. This would be a July race, but obviously with Corona, things being moved around. Um, this was the last race to make the playoff. Um, and the reason why it's interesting and of note this was Jimmy Johnson's last shot at getting in the playoff. He needed to get some serious points to get in. Um, I obviously don't know about NASCAR, but if he had won, he gets the automatic berth. If he didn't win this race, there were some point issues he had to get in. Um, because he missed that race by COVID, he was a little bit behind. Um, there were two ginormous pileups, which is also kind of usually you get the big one. Um, that's like it's the famous thing at Daytona, the big one. There were two the big ones in this one. It was won by William Byron in the 24 car, Jimmy Johnson's teammate. Jimmy did not make the playoffs, he missed it by six points. So the I'll retiring put that in perspective. Um, if he had 
maybe gone if he'd have placed a little higher or if he had like won a segment of the race um if he had been in the covid race like if he had not been out by covid he would have made the playoffs so this six time yeah sixth or seven time champion who's retiring this year did not make the playoffs and therefore will not have a shot at winning the title and breaking the King's record. The King being Richard Petty. I knew that one. I knew um, that one. And then the also, the real thing, that, the reason why I bring this up is they have a, and I didn't realize this, a regular season champion. I, I think this might be new to NASCAR. Kevin Harvick is the regular season champion going into the playoffs, which is odd to me that, NASCAR has a regular season champion. I don't know. How many, races, nothing. How many races are in the playoffs? Uh, hold on, and I'll tell you. I knew you were going to do this, and I should have had it ready, and now I feel like you should. I should have been ready for this. So there's 16 drivers okay. in the field, um, and I believe there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and there's 10 races, so 10 more weeks in the playoffs. Seems like a lot. Yeah, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. Those 16 drivers to make the playoffs are Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano, uh, the Elliott kid, Martin Truex, the Blaney kid, uh, Bowman, Byron, Austin Dillon, and then some Custer person, uh, Almarola, Clint Boyer, Kyle Bush, Kurt Bush, so the Bush brothers. And then the kid who won today, or the kid who won at some point, Dimitro. Yeah, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> so NASCAR's lot, that's the thing, is NASCAR's lot, lost a lot of its names. So the Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, who's on his way out, the Earnhardt Jr., uh, Tony Stewart. Those guys are all gone. So now we got a bunch of these kids who are quite literally kids in the 21 to 25 range. So I know none of these guys. And they're all in the playoffs. So it should be interesting. Um, But now that Daytona's over, I really don't care about racing anymore. Fair enough. We're going to move we're going to move from NASCAR playoffs to the PGA Tour in our, next, in our next segment. I know Jim is super excited. Well, the PGA is already in their version of the playoffs already and they started it with 60 people. Um so hmm. to, this this past weekend was the second to last event in the PGA leading up to their FedEx Cup playoff well this next week will be it's the tour championship so next week is the last event in the pga tour fedex cup season um this week the tournament the the event was at olympia fields um and it started with well it it had 60 throughout the event after today they cut it down to 30 so only 30 will play in next week's last event the tour championship event Um, it was interesting because this course played extremely difficult there were only i think five or six guys that were under par um, okay okay hold on hold on hold on the course 
this piece of land played difficult. It played difficult. Did obstacles jump out at them? Did the course change? Did the land move? What do you mean the course played difficult? The course had very thick rough. It already has narrow fairways. So the groundskeeper didn't do their job. No, the groundskeeper did exactly their job by making the course more difficult for the pros. Okay. All right. Okay. This I, isn't. I think... We can't. We can't compare this to NASCAR because what are you going to do to make the track more difficult? Make it not turn left as much? I, what are you going to do? I, I, right. I understand, but I guess what I'm asking is, so this guy intentionally didn't mow the grass? They intentionally do let the rough. The rough the area off of the fairway, the area off of where you want to be, grow up higher to make it more difficult and think of it as more of a disincentive or penalty for not hitting the ball straight. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, and they, you can do other things like the weather has played into this a little bit. You can allow the greens to dry out a little bit, which means they're faster and they don't receive hmm. the ball as well. So if you hit the green, it may not stop as it would typically in a, softer green i picture like an evil bill murray just like Haha, i'm gonna screw with these guys today i mean that is sometimes what happens i think and then the players get mad and then they're like oh well, we'll make this a little bit better for you but it was interesting today i watched maybe the last hour of the broadcast um when i got back from my own golfing adventure which did not go as well as it did for the pga professionals but <clears throat> in the last hour there was drama Dustin Johnson on the 72nd hole, the last hole of the tournament for him, made a about 30-foot birdie putt to force a playoff with John Rahm. Okay. Also, within the last 20 within the last 20 minutes of the regular broadcast, Mackenzie Hughes, a Canadian golfer, um, actually played his way in to the last 30 on his last hole by making a sand save right off the right side of the 18th green. Um, which is a huge deal to get into this last tournament because it's guaranteed money. And there are other incentives. Obviously, you get to not just get the guaranteed money of, even if I finish last, I get this. He has the opportunity to play for more money. Um, and he he probably even has an outside chance if he were to win, that he would win, I believe it's $10 million that the FedEx Cup champion wins. So think of the um, NASCAR champion. Of right, the yeah. Wow. So, I mean, there's huge incentive to just being able to continue playing um, and then in a kind of serendipitous way to end the tournament in the playoff between John Rahm and Dustin Johnson, John Rahm made a similar putt that Dustin Johnson made on the 18th green in the first playoff hole to win this week's event oh. at Olympia Fields. So the question is, did you bet on any of this? I did not bet on golf this week. Wow. Good for you. Self-control. It's been a, it's been a slow, slow betting week. It's been a lot of other things going on in, in life that led me not to get too involved hmm. this week. So. All right. Don't worry. We'll be back at it in the next couple of weeks as some level of football begins. Gotcha. Speaking of football, the next topic in this week's Fast Five, Fast Five, Fast Five. Bram. Shout out to our boy Scott. Scott drumming up some business on the Twitter machine for us by calling us out for not talking about Lionel Messi wanting to leave Barcelona. Yeah, so this guy decides, uh, I want to leave. And how long had he had been there? He had been there, 
I think the entirety of his professional career, which for him was probably about 12 to 15 years. So according to our boy, Scott, he says that this is like uh, worse than Tom Brady leaving the Patriots. This is groundbreaking news in the world of professional sport. So soccer, as, as we call it, um, is internationally popular. Messi is an internationally popular human being. He is a well-known superstar in soccer. Um, but as I pointed out as part of our back and forth a little bit, Messi is also 33 years old, which in soccer terms is getting there. This is like the equivalent of Tom Brady in age, maybe not as old as Tom, but in that arena, you know, in that waning years of your career. Um, so it was either his club decides, hey, we're going to bring you back and we want to still try to win, you know, win a championship, win, win our leagues. Um, or they decide, eh, maybe it's about time to let this go. Now in the soccer world, it's interesting because in order for another team to sign him, they also have to pay transfer fees. So you have to pay money to be able to have the opportunity to sign him. So this is like baseball players coming from Japan. You know, you sign these uh, huge transfer okay. fees. It has a similar, similar um, gauge there. So <clears throat> the transfer fee, the original reports are, this could be anywhere from $150 million just to have the opportunity to sign him. And if he's going to get, you know, a multi-year contract that goes into play, you could be looking at $400 million just to get him on your team. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, in the soccer world, it does happen. And this is where you come to realize how much money is behind these soccer teams. It wow. <laughs> so is this like drug lords funding these soccer teams? Um, I'm not going to speak to that because I don't know if about, I don't know about soccer to talk about their owners. But you've got to think it is the... It is the American football of the rest of the world. Well, Pablo Escobar, according to Narcos on Netflix, he funded himself a soccer team. And that's the only way I could see $400 million for a guy in his, th in his 30s playing soccer. You're talking about the Venezuelan soccer team? Yeah. <laughs> that was a national team. This would be, oh, <clears throat> this would be like the equivalent of an MLS team as opposed to the United States Olympic squad. $400 million. This guy better crap out gold bars. Well, he does win the golden boot, the balloon d'or in the French, oh. in the French speak. So he's won that six times. So I guess there is some argument to be made that he does crap, crap out gold bars. Out gold. <laughs> All right. Well, so, thank you. <clears throat> thank you at Scott LaRock for providing us some fodder and for giving Jim and I an opportunity to uh, try to burn you down in soccer, something we know nothing about. So we appreciate, we appreciate your service to, to the podcast. He made his only problem was he thought we weren't going to address it. We addressed it poorly, but here, Scott, we addressed it. It's the one here it is. You get what you get. Right. <clears throat> and last and certainly least, on this week's Fast Five, Fast Five, Fast Five, Bram. the Big Ten. 
Hey, Muff, guess what? I did what? no research on this topic. Mm -hmm. I knew it was coming up. I knew it was going to be a thing. I did no research on it. I didn't look it up. I did nothing for this. And guess what that means? You're not going to talk about it. It means I'm just like Kevin, the commissioner of the Big Ten. <laughs> And I am, feel like I am qualified to talk on it, even though I've done no homework on it. And I'm going to speak on vague generalities. And my listeners are going to feel like the Big Ten parents. So let's go. Have at it, buddy. You, you give me a Kevin Warren press card, presser. Um, we're going to do a thing. And you're going to like it. So rumors are we may or may not play. Uh, our season may start. Thanksgiving weekend. We're not real sure. Um, but that might be a thing. We'll let you know. That's what they're doing. <laughs> You're not wrong. The, the biggest just, I don't even know what to say, just brain fart moment of this whole thing for me is thinking of how – you can't have some semblance of a plan if you do want to move forward with this, because if you're going to start Thanksgiving weekend or in that late November time frame, you mean flu season? Well, not even, not even that. Get beyond that. Beyond the fact that it could happen, to align with the playoff is impossible oh. by starting in late November. So yeah, if you're I know. Gonna, if you're going to provide any pressure to the FBS committee to discuss this and want to extend the playoff or do something with the big 10 involved, you have to have a legitimate plan in order to leverage that against them. There's you no plan. Just, that's what I'm saying. This There's is no that's the dumbest part of the thing is. Welcome to Kevin's it, world. It. Welcome to Kevin's world. We throw it against the wall and we see what sticks. Maybe so here's the thing. Maybe he just wants his kid from Florida and Florida to play for a national championship. Well, that's what I was going to come up with. See, you did it. You did it right there. This is what everybody in our world is doing. The conspiracy theories, okay? And I know we have this we don't talk politics rule on this show, but this is one of the conspiracy theories, okay? There's Kevin wants to impact the election, rumor going around. So he's holding off the Big Ten season to impact the election. You can infer who he sides with on that if you want, listener. There is a rumor going around that he tried to form a coalition of all of the Power Five, and he got laughed at. There's that rumor. Feinbaum is pushing that rumor that he went to the SEC to get them to join Team Let's Shut It Down, and the SEC laughed at him. There's rumors that he has all these files of emails from, from presidents of big 10 schools that he's holding on to in a safe where they all agreed with him. And he's made a promise not to share those. Listen, you PR nightmare. You need to get out in front of this because the steamship is coming. Like, and if you have this magical idea that you're going to start on Thanksgiving weekend, the least you can do, the very least you can do for all of us is say, guys, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start the season on Thanksgiving. And guess what I'm giving you, America? Ohio State versus Michigan on that day. You're welcome. 
But no, he just comes out, we may start on Thanksgiving. I don't know anything else, but that's what I might do. Get out of here, Kevin. We might hate you. <laughs> Get out of here. And you know what else is funny? You know who we don't hear out of? Pac-12, Muff. They did the same thing. Nobody's hearing any con- complaints about the Pac-12 because they gave us a 14-page document labeling out crystal clear why they did what they did. You can get me all riled up. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin, continuing to affirm his asshat status. He's the original, the OG asshat. He's the one. And that does it for this week's Fast Five, Fast Five, Fast Five. We now have an update on our Fantasy Football League. Get pumped. The Sports Stuff Fantasy Football League is slated for its draft this Thursday evening. This Thursday, we will have 10 budding commission, well, budding owners. I, Muff, am serving as your commissioner. So um, just get ready for fines to come down all willy-nilly and for um, rash and harsh judgments to happen. So no performance-enhancing drugs. Um, There will be no chicanery. And um, there will be at least one asshat every week coming from the Fantasy Football League. And I'll tell you what, I bet your decisions will have reason. I bet they'll make sense. I'm serving as a commissioner within a football-based league. I don't think I'm allowed to have logic and reason, so I will choose (laughs) not to. And everyone's just going to have to deal with it. Um, We got some some good names in this league, Muff. Toss out some of the names we have in our, our Fantasy Football League, buddy. Frankie Buckets, The Average Joes, I Like Sports, Pine Riders Anonymous. Oh, that's me. Uh, Hughes Legit Team, Tampa Bay Gronkineer. The Tampa Bay Gronkineers. Old Big Uh, Nate coming in hard. Bucketville Butchers. That's me. That's Jim. Scott's Swell Team. Well, let's hope that they're a little bit better than Swell for his sake. Yeah. Aaron's Team. Wilk, you got to get on the name there, buddy. Uh, and I think that's it. I think I hit them all there. We've got 10 teams, 10 chosen warriors in our battle for the bottle. <laughs> for the bottle. And we still need to come up with this last place. Lack of prize, whatever we're going to name it. I think person. we should name it after Kevin. The original asshat? The original asshat. That's my nomination. Any other nominations? Get at us on Twitter. We've, we have limited time. I mean, we could actually, we could ride this out through the first part of the season if we really yeah. think about it. Um, so, Kevin Warren is, uh, is number one right now. Any other thoughts from those in the league, which we we, we should just call it the listeners. Kevin. Don't put his last name in there. The Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. The Kevin. The Kevin is uh, is thought one here. The Kevin is in the lead right now in the clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. If any, we have any challengers that come through. Um. So <clears throat> one thing I did this week 
is I actually sat down and did a little breakdown of myself for my draft, which is not abnormal. And I know that Jim's just going to just destroy me for this because I'm putting more time in this than I need to. But I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to destroy you. I have questions. Okay. And obviously, I don't want to give away your strategy. So I'm going to try to do this in a vague manner. Well, how about I, I generally describe what I do, and then maybe that will answer some of your general questions, and you can prod a little bit more. Yeah, do that. Let's do that. So I typically break down each position. So in this league, we have all the typical offensive positions. You've got some flex options. And on the defensive side, we're doing a team defense as well as an individual defensive player. Mm-hmm. So I usually break all of those down, obviously, so for the, some of the skill positions, like running back and wide receiver, you need to be a little bit deeper in how far you go. Um, so I try to break them down um, and put them in an order, and then I tier them, and then I identify the rounds that I would look, be looking to draft these people. So that's basically what I do. So, but how, what, how do you factor that in against the, the clock and where your draft position is? Like, how do you, so this helps me because I also in this have in my head, what positions I would like to draft first. Okay. So if I have, if I have it broken down into, I would like this person or this position to be taken in the second or third round, then I just go to my sheet that has that position and say, okay, these are the guys I was willing to target in the second or third round in this position. There may be three or four left because obviously other people were getting drafted during this time. So then I decide, okay, of these three or four, which is the one that I want to go with. And you're assuming then that COVID, the COVID will be, the people who are sitting out will be not in our roster then, right? Like when we go to draft, they won't be available. They won't be available if they, if they have already sat out. And there are limited numbers of skill position, like offensive skill positions that I've seen that are sitting out at this point. Um, there are some, you, I know. You told me you've, you've done this for a while now. This would be, I want to say the third or fourth year I've broken it down to some degree. The past two or three, past two years, I've gone pretty deep. This, but yeah, you know, I've always done some level of breakdown. Um, and how many years have you uh, won a league? Well, I currently have a championship belt um, in my possession from a league with uh, somebody that we could potentially have on at a later time as a guest. Um, I uh, I sit on the throne as the champion because this league has not been in effect for the past three or four years. So I remain a champion in that league until I am dethroned. When um, was the last time you won a league using this method? Won a league using this method? Method? About yeah. three or four years ago, whenever I did it. Oh, okay. I, I would say I am consistently in leagues that I am in, usually in the top four. Got so it. I may not win them all, but I'm usually consistently in that top four. Um, last year, there's there's one year I remember, this is about six years ago, I was in three or four leagues and I was in the championship in all of them and lost all of them. That was heartbreaking. Well, I believe I'm going to beat you with my Ohio State method. That's what I think. Continue to, to think that continue to think that there's only so many quarterbacks from Ohio state in the NFL right now. 
Well, I'm going to win. I'm just saying. I'm not winning the Kevin, that's for sure. It's our time for the good, the bad, and the asset. I shared it on our social media. Coaching a 12-year-old Sky Brown on the Mega Ramp. Did you see it? I did. Can you hear me, Muff? did. Wow. The Rona got me for a second over here, I think. So here she is on this Mega Ramp. And for those who don't know, a Mega Ramp is basically this giant wooden structure where you ride a skateboard down, you leap over a giant gap onto another wooden vert ramp. This 12-year-old is at the edge getting pumped up to do it. And there's Tony Hawk, the legend of skateboarding, getting her pumped up and giving her advice to do it. And she, there she is shaking it out, trying to figure out, like, I'm ready to go. And she's talking to herself. And there's Tony Hawk, like, you got this. And she does it. And I was scared for her. Like, I was legit scared. And she goes, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And she lands it and then goes up over the vert. And then she comes down on her knees. And she's fine. And it was a blast. And it, I felt like the, a proud father for the girl. And the fact that Tony was coaching her, that was a true give back moment. And, like, I've seen, I've seen stories of Tony Hawk doing really cool things. And that was one of the really cool things. So that's the good moment of the week. Do we think – that this this young girl realizes the re- like the stardom that she is around like i wasn't even a skateboard kid growing up and i still played tony hawk video games oh i think so i think it, like i don't think he walks around and is like oh i'm tony hawk but i think she's like oh that's tony hawk and i think he makes it so cool to be around him that eventually that just wears off and it's somebody who's coaching to do it, and then when she's looking down this giant ramp, she's not even thinking, holy hell, it's Tony Hawk talking to me. <laughs> but I think afterwards, like, when she's like, oh, Tony Hawk helped me do that, you know? <laughs> oh, I don't care who you are beside me. I need to get down this thing. <laughs> right, right. Like, holy hell, this is amazing, but uh, it was so cool. It was very touching to see all that happen, and I like when people like that give back to their sport, so it was really cool. Um, so next up, the bad. Uh, and we had talked about this in the opening segment, um, but New York Mets general manager Brody Van Wagenen was caught on a live mic for some reason. Baseball and these live mics seem to be a thing. Can't get out of their own way with the microphone. I think I think we're right. I think he was right. They need the Bob Euchre switch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he's caught uh, speaking very candidly about the leadership of MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. Um, Apparently, he was of the impression that Rob Manfred did not want the players to step away from the game and not play at all. Rob just simply wanted them to take a break, do a little demonstration, and walk away. And on a live mic for about 45 seconds, he kind of besmirches the commissioner's name and basically says he feels pressured to do this. And it's a bad look for Mr. Brody here. 
And then, of course, once he realizes he's on a live mic, he's going to come back and retract his statement, say it's a miscommunication, pin it on an underling. That's the underling who told him wrong. And basically goofs up the whole moment that was to be had. And it was a good moment. I mean, the players came out. Everybody stood up. A, a Black Lives Matter T-shirt was placed at home plate. A great gesture. Um, and a, we are supposed to believe that was very player-led. But because of this snafu on the live mic, we don't know. Now, did Rob Manfred pressure them to just do that? Did the players want to actually not play at all? We'll never know. Rob Manfred said it was up to the players. I had nothing to do with it. Brody now says it was a miscommunication. It's just a bad look. That's why it's the bad part of this segment. Now, it hasn't made it to asset level. Because I think genuinely there may have been a miscommunication. MLB needs, needs, needs a week off. From asset status, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it's baseball. They tend to botch these things. So they did good. It was a nice gesture, but ugh. That's how I feel. Ugh. Baseball is still going to baseball. Yeah. And so uh, that leads us to the asshat. And I understand I might catch some flack because this, this asshat this week is not an actual person. But this week's asshat goes to freaking cancer um chadwick boseman the actor who played james brown jackie robinson and the most notably the black panther died of colon cancer um very tragic he was a very profound actor from what all of the twitter tributes have shown he touched a lot of lives. It, that tweet, his final tweet, which was basically a memorial to him, was the most popular tweet ever. Um, just a really nice guy. That uh, Black Panther movie is iconic. Has done a lot for a lot of people. And basically, cancer took another life. And I, I think everybody's been affected by cancer. People in your life, people in my life. So, uh, yeah, cancer, you are an asshat. So, congratulations, you bastard. Welcome to the asshat club. So, there you go. But not a cheating bastard, because we all not a cheating bastards. Not a cheating bastard. That is reserved for the Astros. All right, everybody. Go. That's the end of the segment. Potentially the end of the show. We'll see how the editing goes. If it's not the end of the show, if it is the end of the show, this is Sports Stuff with Jim and Muff. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Sports Jim Muff. Get at us. Let us know what you think. Trip us. Let us know whenever we say something wrong. Or that you want to, uh, you know, maybe provide some expertise you think you can bring to the show. We accept guest opportunities, but you have to show some expertise in order to get that nod. So, Or at least some kind of knowledge of something. Awesome. We're gurus of nothing. Right. We just talk. 
we talk about things because we know a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to have to get Scott LaRock on here. I don't know what he's, uh, he's knowledgeable on. So. He was a mascot for a minor league baseball team. So that gives him knowledge of being super hot in a suit? Exactly. <laughs> I have been a mascot, but not for a minor league baseball team. Exactly. And I really just want to hear Scott LaRock tell us what it's like to be a mascot. Breaking down our second-to-last division in the NFL. Let me tell you, this is a popular segment. And this week, Muff, I called in a ringer. I was unable to do research for this segment. But I called in a ringer who wrote my notes this week. And my research assistant has some freaking fantastic notes. Your research assistant. Is this an unnamed research assistant? Well, I don't want to give away this golden goose that I've found. But let me tell you, her tacos that she makes are fantastic. <laughs> it's good to know that there will still be an Ohio State bias to this group. This breakdown. Actually, you know what? The thing is, there's not. And that's what I was looking for. There's not. But the notes she took, fantastic. Holy heck. Might get a re- some real breakdown from Jim on this one. You may. That being the case, I'll lead us in, and I'll let you pick the first team based on your notes here. So uh, last, last year in the AFC West, last year starting out, mm-hmm. the, the Chiefs were the, the division winners and also later on Super Bowl champions at 12-4. and four. The Broncos at 7-9. and nine. The Raiders now in Las Vegas also at 7-9. and nine. And the Chargers – just another team that's hanging out in California at five and eleven, and my favorite team. So we're gonna go with the Chargers. Going with the Chargers, okay? Yeah, yeah. We got a quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, and and Justin Herbert, rookie, Justin Herbert. I think that's gonna be a quarterback battle in the beginning. I have faith in Tyrod. He did well at the, at the Bills that in 2017. And then he went to the Browns in 18, you know. Um, I think Herbert will eventually take it over. But uh, the Chargers are notorious for quarter, quarterback uh, poops. And then they got lucky with Rivers. But before then, it was just disastrous. But... Uh, Dan Fouts, not not your guy. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The one that the one that we speak of that I don't even like his name. We should have had Eli. Is all I'm saying. You pulled a John Elway on draft day. Yeah. <clears throat> At uh, wide receiver, we got Mike Williams. Um, has a minor shoulder injury. Uh, coming back. He had a, a minor shoulder injury late August, but I think he'll be okay. We got Keenan Allen. The number one receiver in that offense. Yep. Very underrated. Very underrated, by the way. Well, In Philip Rivers' time, he was the solid number one and just in the league, just not appreciated, I think, for what he is. And then at uh, running back, Austin Eckler. 
And then Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. Northwestern, Justin Jackson. And they're all going to share the load this season. They should be because Eckler proves himself to be a very good back, but I don't think he's a feature back. Right. And then uh, you know who's on that team. And I want to show you the notes. Hunter Henry, the tight end. Yeah, he's there. But you know who's not on this notes right here? So you know she didn't put it on here. But the man, Joey Bosa, is on that team. He is on that defense, which had terrible stats last year. Yeah, but... Yeah. They gave up 345 points, which is like only two two teams, I think, are worse in the whole conference than them. He can't be the whole defense. Okay, he can't. Well, the way you talk about Chase Young, I feel like he's going to be the whole team. Chase Young's a different beast. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's the Chargers. There's only one person we give the beast tag to, and it's not Chase Young, just so we're clear. That's the Chargers. Moving on, I'll let you pick. Okay, we're going to go to the Denver Broncos. We're going to the Mile High City. We've got the the dancing fool on the sidelines, Drew Locke, slated to be their quarterback this year. We'll see how that goes. Um, how healthy is Melvin Gordon going to be at running back? They got Jeff Driscoll, too, at quarterback. They, they, they have who? Jeff Driscoll. Somebody that came from Purdue? Yeah. Did he come from Purdue? He's from Purdue? Is that true? I don't know, but he signed a two-year, five million dollar contract, Muff. I have no idea who he is. It's, it's not like they're gonna like just let him sit there. Drew Locke's a rookie, twenty-three-year-old kid. Drew Locke is not a rookie anymore. My note keeper needs to get better at these notes. Then Drew Locke, <laughs> this is his second year in the league, and he started games last year for them <laughs> at the end of the season, which is why he's slated as the starter. My note keeper, I'm gonna have to talk to her. Let's get on that. But yeah, at the running back situation, how healthy is Melvin Gordon going to be? Philip Lindsay last year, Philip Lindsay did well for them. <clears throat> but again, I don't know if he is intended to be their feature back. Um, I think he's a good change of pace back, and I hope Melvin Gordon is healthy because um, I think that will allow that team to be more successful. I agree. Um, at wide receiver, they have a, a really, I mean, a host of options. Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton is their number one. Um, and then you've just got a lot of second-tier guys, including um, rookie Jerry Judy. And then in the fold, just so we're clear, there are two former Penn State wide receivers in Deshaun Hamilton and K.J. Hamler. Um, and then Noah Fant at tight end has been pretty serviceable over the past couple of years for them. So interested to see with Drew Locke coming into the season, having a full season of preparation, um, what that's, what that's going to look like for him. Um, he had hints of brilliance, or at least – some minor brilliance last year. Um, and then, as always, Vaughn Miller is on the defensive side of the ball. And as long as he's around, I think he they, they have a shot just as a defensive player. Um, Did he get any help this from the draft? I, you're asking draft questions. We know that we don't dig deep, too deep into the draft on this show. He's going to need some help. He oh, can, I agree. Again, once, the, once they found out that he was the man – the second year after the being the man, 
they exploited him. And that's the same, that's the Joey Bosa effect too. Is that the Joey Bosa effect? I mean, that's what happened to him was my point. Is that like, that was what happened to him in college. That's what ha- was happened to him. Yeah. They, they double team him and it's like, well, we wiped that weapon out. Yeah. We figured out how to make sure he doesn't do anything. Yeah. Next, let's go to the Raiders. Now of Las Vegas, not the probably same. not the same. Probably one of the most interesting thing I'll be watching all year. The fact they're in Las Vegas, I love. I love the fact they're in Las Vegas. I think any team in Las Vegas is the most interesting thing ever. I love their hockey team. They should have a baseball team. I love that they're in Las Vegas. Screw Oakland. Long live oh, oh, oh. Las Vegas. You oh. heard a hot take. Hot take. Oh, oh. Las Vegas Raiders forever, baby. Oh, oh. Go ahead. Marshawn Lynch coming after you. That's fine. Okay, so quarterback. We've got Derek Carr. Can he make it through a season? And you got Mariota. Mariota is is sitting there in the wings. Um, hoping to make an impact on a team unlike he did in Tennessee. Um, running back, we have Josh Jacobs, who, to be fair, is at this point like a top six, seven running back in the league in my mind. They got five <laughs> running backs on that team. Well, Josh Jacobs is the only one that I care about. But feel free to label all of them if you want. But, I mean, they do. Like, five running backs. That's crazy. Maybe say that they should invest more in other positions. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they do have a top-tier tight end, though, and Darren Waller. Um, and I will read to you directly the notes I have here. The wide receivers are ho-hum. I'll see what Jim says. Okay. Well, my note says Hunter Renfro, crown jewel, crown jewel of draft class, outside receiver, world-class speed, According to my note taker. Hey, I'm not going to disagree. The, the man's good. And he's already making the, the social media rounds with a, a viral, a semi-viral clip of him just juking some guy out of his shoes on a comeback round. So. Henry Ruggs III had a strong rookie year. She has, she has my, my note taker has some stats on here. Not bad stats, but stats. Just young at the receiver position. And then Tyler Williams had a, t- a, t- a t- what she write down? A touchdown each game for the first five games. And then an injury induced a lull. So uh, they're young. I agree with that. PBD. They have a tackling machine on the defensive side of the ball in Corey Littleton, uh, formerly of the Rams. Um, and they're going to need it because they <laughs> somehow surpassed the Chargers defense in allowing oh, 419 points <laughs> against them last year. Um, Look who is in their division. The uh, who we're uh, about to talk about. They can't score that many by themselves. Look who we're about to talk about. Okay. Get at it. The Chiefs. All you got to say is Mahomes. Future Hall of Famer. 
Mahomes. Yeah, I said it. There. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> if he's a Mahomes. future Hall of Famer, is Ben Roethlisberger making it to Hall of Fame? If he wears his helmet and doesn't wreck his bike. Well, he's done that for years now. So, yeah. <laughs> I think Ben makes it in. I don't like the man, but I think he makes it in. I think he'll make He won't be a first ballot, but he'll make it in at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then at running back, Damian Williams, who opted out. I'm sorry. I read my notes all the way. And then Edwards Hilar. Edwards Hilar is going to yeah. be the guy I think they hope. I forgot about that. Up. And then DeAndre Washington, Daryl Williams, Darwin Thompson. Elijah McGuire, all possible options. So uh, there you go. They have a fullback in Anthony Sherman. Good, that was, good. That was nice of her to put it on there. <laughs> Get some fullbacks. Is this Mike Allstott loving here? <laughs> she she did that for every position. That was nice of her for the fullback. A throwback. She's thorough. What can I say? Hey, I'm, I'm just I, I I like when the fullbacks get love. <laughs> Me too. And then at wide receiver, Tariq Hill, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Byron Pringle. She missed a name. Or I can't read it. Hardman. Hardman? Yeah. Ontario Hardman. He's a, he's a burner. He's a speedster. So the Chiefs are uh, set. They're locked, they're locked up pretty well on offense. And really, it comes down to if their offense can continue to put up points, all their defense has to do is just ball hawk at that point. Because if they get up by enough points, then those teams are going to be trying to throw the ball. And yeah. they can just tee off on the quarterback and look to make those picks. Yeah. She didn't put any records on here, so I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Buddy, well, I'll give you about 10 seconds to start um, by, again, reminding everybody in this division are the Broncos, Chargers, Chiefs, and Raiders. Oh, buddy. This year for me, I have in last place, much to Jim's chagrin, the Chargers coming in at 4-12. and 12. I have the Broncos. Five and eleven. In third place, I have the Broncos. In third place, with a record of seven and nine. I got the Chargers at six and ten. In second place, I've got the Raiders coming in at eight and eight. Me too. Same thing, eight and eight. Which means we both, to nobody's surprise, yeah. have the Chiefs getting this division. I have the Chiefs ending up at 13 and three. And I'm not copying you, but I'm copying you. I, I thought 13 and three as well. Well, I mean, it's, I it's one game better than them last year. I was going to do 14 and two, but I was like, you're giving them way too much credit. Two some rarefied air. Yeah, I mean, fourteen win total. I think if uh, they didn't have that COVID sit out, I probably would have gone fourteen and two. But 
I don't think they'll they'll do that. But COVID. COVID, yeah. I don't know. I want them to repeat because I would like to – but my man in uh, New England is going to get that ring, so I'm just saying. Keeps going I, back to the Patriots well, ladies and gentlemen. I have to. I have to because I ran my mouth, and I ha- now I have to stick to that. My Super Bowl pick are the Patriots. Got to stand by that take. I have to. Have to. Well – we only have one more division left. Get pumped, ladies and gentlemen. And that is the AFC North. The North Get division. ready. Get ready. What's going to happen to my beloved Steelers? And then Brownies. The Brownies, the Browns are loved. <laughs> they are loved. And by very passionate. Bengals. Bungle, and it's funny. Bungle's gonna bungle. Because you see, here I I sit here in Columbus. You sit there in what do you want to call where you sit? Our south of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, you would think that. What, what would you call the fan base here for NFL? If you had to just pick in Columbus. Yeah. In Columbus, I would say they probably lean more towards Cleveland. They lean towards Cincinnati. Good for it's them. It's very weird. Good for them. Yeah, and so as they lean towards Cincinnati, it it's weird because they get that that let down. <laughs> yeah. And so like when they see the Browns doing okay, they go up there and like, "Oh, we're Browns fans now." And the Browns let them down. It's this constant disappointment. Then you understand why they just give up and go to Ohio State. So now, with no Ohio State, this is going to be a very sad town. Very, very sad town. Well, at least if you're going to go with the Bengals, at least you got Joe Burrow to hang your hat on. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. He is the second coming. We'll talk more about it. We'll talk more about it next week, but Joe Burrow is the man. The man. And that's our breakdown of the AFC West. One more to come, and then we'll be able to actually, in about five or six weeks, revisit this and see how badly we are doing. I'm pumped. Me too. So that ends this breakdown. Couple shout-outs. Shout them out. Couple shout-outs. Once again, thank you, Aaron Wilkinson, for coming on the show. Thank you, everybody, who has signed up for our fantasy draft. I appreciate that. Um, shout out to Scott again for being active on the social media, pointing out some things that we needed to touch on. Uh, I think that's everybody who interacted with us this week, right? Did we miss anybody? It's all the major interactions. We appreciate it. All the likes that we get on Twitter, we appreciate it. Hugh. Hugh, Hugh gets at us. Hugh Mulvey. Yep. Um, there's another one that I always like in our stuff. He's in our league. <laughs> He's in our league. Dave. Dave. Burns-inator. 
Burnsinator coming in hard. Yeah. Love. He's always liking our stuff. So shout out to him too. Big shout out to him. So everybody interacts with us on social media at, at, at sports gym sports on Instagram Muff. and Twitter. I got to memorize this. I get it so bad, but thank you for interacting with us. Really appreciate it. <laughs>